when I was new to programming. My uh, whole reason to get uh, for getting into programming is I wanted to build my own MUD, multi-user dungeon. <laughs> it were these, these uh, old programs that uh, you connected to, and it was like uh, playing a kind of text interface D&D, sort of. Date, June 2015. Episode 116 with James Edward Gray II. James is a Ruby developer, conference organizer, author, owns Graysoft Inc., started Ruby Rogues, screencaster, Ruby Hero since 2008, and is an overall super nice guy. This episode is sponsored by the lovely people at Media Temple. Please introduce yourself. My name is James Gray. I usually go by James Edward Gray II, which seems like lengthy and formal, but it's actually because my name is the most common name of my generation, James, uh, Mm. and everybody goes by that, and even James Gray is surprisingly common. And so, like, if I go to the eye doctor or whatever and tell him I'm James Gray, I get the wrong prescription, and so I'm just in the habit of using my full name. And uh, what do you do? I'm a programmer. (laughs) I do mostly web development. Although, you know, I I get into other areas sometimes, but mostly web development. And uh, do you have your own company? Do you work for some company? Yeah, I manage my own consultancy and then just work with clients. I've done that for quite a few years now, over 10, I think. And uh, so I used to work for a company way back when and then got into consulting and just really liked it and never went back to working for specific companies. How did you start your code? Let's see. I had a ColecoVision Atom, which is a computer most people haven't heard of. In fact, I was listening to your podcast this morning, and you mm-hmm. did an episode a while back with Obi Fernandez. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how he learned on a um, Commodore. And, and the ColecoVision Atom was the other one, the one nobody bought. And the Commodore was the one that went on to be successful. Um, so it was a, a real simple computer. The only like thing it had going for it is it programmed in basic and it came with this huge thousand page manual that taught you the basic programming language. And I was far too young to understand that book, but I read it like, you know, 17 times and started to pick up bits and pieces of it and was just forever hooked from that point forward. And uh, when was it? In the um, early 80s, late 80s? Uh, let's see, that's a good question. It would have been, uh, yeah, late 80s. Yes, mm-hmm. about 88 or so. How would you recommend people new to code to improve their skills? That's a, that's a good question. It's pretty daunting, right, when you're new to code because it feels like everything you get into is this giant Alice in Wonderland length hole in the ground that you can fall into, right? Does it get much better? (laughs) I don't know. That's a good question. I'll I'll let you know when I figure it out. (laughs) But it's hard because, you know, you think, oh, there's this thing. There's, There's iterators. Maybe I should go learn about iterators. And you can spend a lot of time looking at all the iterators. I mean, even Innumerable in Ruby has, what, 40, 50-some iterators in it? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's mm-hmm. not all of them. So then you, you, know, you eventually get to the part where you're working with web apps, and you're like, 
what's this HTTP thing? And you can fall into a hole there, you know? So I think one of the difficult parts in the beginning is learning which parts you can safely ignore for a while. Oh, yeah. So that you can advance forward and and only pulling what you really need. So I think one of the best things you can do in the beginning is is tell yourself that that's okay. Like that there's this massive field of knowledge and it's hard to move forward in it without picking up everything. But we all had to do that because there is this massive field of knowledge and that it's okay that you're not paying attention to this thing yet because it isn't something you think you need right now. And you may even be wrong. You know, it may be that you don't understand enough yet to know why that would be so helpful or whatever, but eventually you'll get to it. So it's not a big deal and you're doing the best you can with what you know right now and I think it's okay to accept that you're you know putting that thing off to work on this thing and stuff and not feeling this kind of pressure to go everywhere at once James Edward Gray offered access to his screencast about the less code movement and how to actively read code you can win this giveaway by leaving feedback for this podcast on iTunes Good or bad, any feedback is super welcome. Then tweet me the username from your rating and the price is possibly yours. I promise to randomly select a winner without any significant bias. Hurry, this goodie will not be up forever. For years, Mintetempo Script Service has been the web hosting choice of more designers, developers and creative professionals than any other platform. A single grid account can host anything from your portfolio site to 100 different client projects. And a grid is ready for anything. Hundreds of servers work together in the cloud to keep your sites online, even if you suddenly hit the front page of Reddit. Also check out their new WordPress hosting product, as well as their launching of Google Apps for Work. Virtual private server solutions are also available with their DV and DV developer hosting plans. You can use the promo code SCREEN25 for 25% off web hosting. Go to mediatemple.net and enter your promo code upon sign up. Thanks for listening. For people starting to code in Ruby, what skill set would you recommend they should really focus on first? In Ruby in general, I would, I think the biggest mistake I th- I feel like I see, and maybe mistake's not even the right word, but the biggest challenge I see people face is they typically come to Ruby through something like Rails and mm-hmm. try to figure that part out first. And uh, you can totally do that. And I even get why that happens, you know, because you're working on some app and it's convenient or whatever. But I will say, I think that's quite a bit harder. It's harder to come at it from that way. And because you're, you're by necessity learning a bunch of things at once, at least Rails and Ruby, possibly web apps in general, all those things at once. And that's significantly harder. It's harder for somebody to learn two or three things at once than it is to learn one thing at a time. Um, Mm -hmm. So I find it easier to just focus on the language and then layer on top of that as I get more comfortable. And and that's how I teach people to do it. So I would say uh, a good place to start is try to learn as few things as you can at a time. You know, do spend some time just playing with Ruby's iterators because they're used absolutely everywhere. And so it has universal application, you know, and and, uh, the more you can take it in chunks, the easier it will be, in my opinion. Because Ruby as a language is also huge. What should they focus on really in terms of maybe strings and arrays? Or what should they leave out? 
Um, that's a good question, too. There is things that, you know, you can safely get by without knowing, I think, for for at least a good period of time. I think you hit on it, you know, things like arrays and strings. You are never going to write a program that doesn't involve those. Mm -hmm. So, you know, spending some time to learn what Ruby's Array can do is, you know, just going to pay off in every single program you ever work on. So that's time super well spent. String and array, I think both have over 100 methods each. And uh, people are constantly surprised when I pull out some obscure method on string that does the exact thing we're doing right now. So even just sitting down and reading through, you know, in the pickaxe book, the the pretty famous uh, Mm -hmm. book to learn Ruby from, there's this section in the back called the reference section and I think most people kind of stop when they get there. And that's unfortunate because I think it's probably part of the best uh, the best chunk of the book. And mm-hmm. you can just read through there and there's explains each of the methods and usually gives examples. And so if you get comfortable with that and the methods you can use and it's a perfect scenario to play around in IRB a little bit to get the hang of it. And then you have all these tools that you can use for basic problem solving. And I think that makes things easier. So I I would definitely start with the basics, things like string, array, hash. The iterators are just universally useful in Ruby. Things I would avoid, probably things like threading uh, and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, forking processes and all that. That's all cool in Ruby. And it's neat stuff, but it's probably stuff you don't need right away. You know, stick mm-hmm. to the the basics, the basic data types, how to design, and move from there into objects and stuff. Um, because there's so much to learn uh, in programming and Ruby, of course, too. What do you think is a good strategy to cover a lot of ground and not get discouraged along the way? Because I think this is probably the most tricky part at this on-ramp phase where people maybe decide it's not for them. I agree with you. Like it's it's super easy to get overwhelmed because of the vast base of knowledge like I've talked about before. I think a good thing that can really help here is having some project that you're doing, something you're you're working on. Why I think that's great is because it can guide you, you know, what to focus on. So, okay, I need this in order to be able to do this. And uh, so then it makes sense that you go and learn that. And then you use that in your code and, and you accomplish some task and that's a motivator, right? You get this win and you're like, ah, oh, great, you know, and success is addictive. So you've got this motivator and you're pushing yourself forward. And at the same time, when you do things like this, you'll be surprised because your your first project you'll work on and you'll think, all right, great, I accomplished it and I did it. And then even just, you know, especially in the beginning, a month, two later, you'll come back and look at that code and you'll be like, this is terrible. And that's a great sign because it Mm -hmm. means you've learned so much in that time period that you wouldn't write code like that anymore. And once you realize that, you can really start to see your progress going forward. So I think my biggest recommendation there would be to do things with what you're learning, your skill, to solve problems so that you have these actual concrete things that you've created and built and you can kind of measure your progress instead of just like learning things on a theoretical scale or whatever. Mm -hmm. 
I have a little bit of a suspicion about that, about choosing projects. Having been there, I think it's um, very easy for newbies especially to maybe pick projects that are way over their heads. So for example, I mean, who decides they want to do a project that is really focused, laser focusing on this tiny, tiny piece that they really can solve. If you let people choose a project, they, they might be choosing a project that is really cool and really big. For example, I don't know, something with the Twitter API that is way over their skill sets. Or they want to build another, I don't know, Twitter or another Facebook. And uh, they really start working towards that and then they realize they are light years away from doing that. You're totally right. And I did that when I was new to programming. My uh, whole reason to get uh, for getting into programming is I wanted to build my own MUD, multi-user dungeon. <laughs> these these uh, old programs that uh, you connected to, and it was like uh, playing a kind of text interface D&D, sort of, is how I would describe it. But uh, yeah, and so I was like, oh, well, that's what I'm going to build. And it, it's like, that's great. That's really hard because you have to learn about things like networking and, and uh, you know, uh, handling, you know, all these different inputs coming from different people at the same time and, and uh, you know, so multiprocessing and stuff like that. And uh, it was really hard. I think choosing a project like that is fine as long as you understand that programming is built on smaller things. So like, it's fine to have that as your goal, your end goal and far out. But you have to understand that first you have to do the simplest, smallest step toward that that you could possibly do. So mm -hmm. in the beginning, you don't do the networking part. You don't do the, the multiprocessing part. Instead, you try to build a simple little text adventure that you can play on your own computer that has like three rooms that you can move around between, you know, that kind of thing. And mm -hmm. then you work up to that higher level. And I think that can actually be good because then it helps you know that at this point, I'm just learning how to do input and output, read commands, parse them, turn them into actions in the game or whatever. And then someday I'll be ready for networking or whatever. And it kind of gives you a roadmap. But you're right that, you know, it's easy to take on something that's way over your ability. And, uh, and that can be frustrating, too. So you just have to remember. But even in even when experts design, you know, pieces of software, the thing we do is we find the smallest piece that we can make work, you know, and then we build on to that. What's the next thing we can add? What's the next thing we can add? And we just keep doing that until we have what we want. <laughs>